0: MRAP snack.
1: We get about 350,000 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests each year. And we know that two things really improve out-of-hospital cardiac arrest survival. One is bystander CPR, and two is early AED usage. But despite knowing this and CPR classes being offered widely, we have a pretty low bystander CPR rate with less than half of our patients receiving bystander CPR in the pre-hospital setting.
0: That's the voice of Dr. Amira Hamid, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine at the University of Chicago, and Dr. Hamid is EMS Fellowship-trained and the Associate Medical Director for Chicago South EMS. This month's snack focuses on issues around equity and justice within the emergency department, and Alden Landry got to sit down with Dr. Hamid and talk about an article that was recently published in the New England Journal of Medicine entitled, Racial and Ethnic Differences in Bystander CPR for Witness Cardiac Arrest. CPR is important, but we know there are some disparities that exist in the cardiac arrest literature. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, there are definitely disparities that exist as it relates to the incidence of sudden cardiac arrest, the survival for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, and the provision of bystander CPR. As it relates to the incidence and survival, we see that there is a higher incidence for folks that are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and for racial and ethnic minorities. Furthermore, we see that Black patients have the highest incidence of -of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, and they have the lowest survival rate, which makes racial and ethnic minorities a population that would benefit the most from bystander CPR training. And when we look at bystander CPR, we see that there's lower bystander CPR rates in Black and Hispanic communities, and that's thought to be due to lower bystander CPR training and lower availability of dispatcher-assisted CPR or telecommunicator CPR. And then when we look at other areas with lower bystander CPR rates, We find that rural communities, southern communities, and those folks that live in communities with lower median household incomes have lower bystander CPR training and lower provision of bystander CPR. Given these disparities, there's tons of effort that goes into advocating for and targeting CPR classes in high-risk neighborhoods.
0: Okay, so now that we're on the same page about out-of-hospital CPR, can you tell me what's going on in this study and what the authors were hoping to find in this study?
1: You know, the authors asked a really interesting question, Alden. So prior studies looked at the differences in bystander CPR rates based on neighborhood, racial, and ethnic makeup. But this study took it a step further. So they looked at the individual's race or ethnicity, and they analyzed the incidence of receiving bystander CPR in relation to where that patient had that cardiac arrest. First, they looked at the person's race or ethnicity and looked at the incidence of them receiving bystander CPR at home versus in a public location. And then they further stratified that data down to neighborhood characteristics based on neighborhood income and the neighborhood's racial or ethnic makeup. And they defined income as low, mid, or high, with low income being less than $40,000 a year annual income, mid as forty dollars to $80,000 annual household income, and high as greater than $80,000. As far as racial and ethnic makeup, they defined neighborhoods as either white, black, Hispanic, or mixed, with white neighborhoods being greater than 80% white individuals living there. Black or Hispanic, greater than 50% Black or Hispanic individuals living there. And mixed is everywhere in between.
0: How did they do this study? Where did the data come from?
1: So yeah, they used the CARES data set. CARES stands for Cardiac Arrest Registry to Enhance Survival. That's a national U.S. data set out of the CDC and Emory University. Multiple states are involved. Multiple community sites are involved. And actually, it includes 51% of our U.S. population within its catchment area. So it's a huge data set in which we can gather so much information as it relates to out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. EMS systems and hospital systems work together to enter information when they have an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and EMS attempts resuscitation. So they looked at CARES data from 2013 to 2019. So There's about six years of good data there, and they found all out-of-hospital cardiac arrests. They excluded arrests that weren't witnessed because bystander CPR you know, it works really well when we witness that cardiac arrest, and they wanted those patients only. So they found that there were 110,000 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests that met their inclusion criteria, which was layperson witness adult cardiac arrests. That data included over 1,600 EMS agencies, Alden.
0: So it seems like a pretty big catchment, lots of data. Hopefully, this was a good study, at least as far as the methodology that they took. So What did the authors find in this study?
1: So the results of this study were super interesting. Let's start with their hypothesis. So they had a two-part hypothesis. Number one, they thought that Black and Hispanic persons were less likely to receive bystander CPR at home because that's what prior data has already shown us. We know that at home, you're probably going to be surrounded by your loved ones. So if they have a lower bystander CPR training rate, then they're probably going to have a lower provision of bystander CPR rate as well. The second part of their hypothesis was really interesting. They knew or they thought we see a disparity between Black and Hispanic individuals and white individuals receiving bystander CPR, just like prior data has shown us. But they thought that if we saw that disparity at home, we see a shrink in that disparity in public locations. Why? Because there's a ton of bystanders around. You're more likely to engage with someone or or have someone see you go down that is CPR trained. You're at the gym. You're at the airports. You're at work. In these public locations. So we thought that we would see that disparity gap actually improve in public locations. And what they actually found was that Black and Hispanic patients were less likely to receive bystander CPR in any location. It didn't matter if they were at home, if they were in public. It didn't matter if the income of the neighborhood was low, medium, or high. It also didn't matter if the racial or ethnic makeup was Black-Hispanic, or if it was mixed, or if it was a predominantly white neighborhood. And for the second part of their hypothesis, when they're looking at that arrest at home versus in public and hoping to see that that disparity shrunk, what they found is that that disparity actually grew in public spaces. So the relative likelihood for receiving bystander CPR was 26% lower in Black and Hispanic persons than white persons if they arrested at home. And when they found that the person arrested in public, they found that that likelihood of receiving bystander CPR was 37% lower in Black and Hispanic persons in that public location. So that disparity actually grew.
0: So, Amira, what does this mean for our patients?
1: Our Black and Hispanic patients are not receiving bystander CPR at similar rates than white patients. You know, And that's something that we've already known. But now we know that it's in every location, despite it being at home or in public. And without that bystander CPR and AED usage, what we see are poor survival rates. And we used to attribute that lower bystander CPR rate to lower CPR training and lower dispatcher-assisted CPR or telecommunicator CPR programs. And that's still true, but this study shows that there are other barriers to our Black and Hispanic patients receiving bystander CPR because we saw that disparity widen in public locations where we would presume that there are more bystanders that are CPR trained. And this really points to something that the authors discuss a lot in the discussion portion of their paper that our implicit or our explicit biases may come into play as it relates to responding to a person in cardiac arrest. So this points to a couple of really important public health takeaways that we should be offering low or no cost CPR training to our communities that are most at risk. And we should be targeting those communities, using data around us to find where those cardiac arrests are and putting CPR training classes there. And then we should be ensuring that those classes are culturally sensitive and using the language of the community that we're teaching. We should also be advocating for dispatcher-associated CPR and telecommunicator CPR for these at-risk neighborhoods as well. And we really need to mobilize and galvanize these communities to respond to cardiac arrest for their loved ones. Because, like this study shows, our biases may be playing a role in them receiving bystander CPR in public locations.
0: Can you share with us any limitations that may exist in this paper?
1: Yeah, so there are a few. So one, they didn't know the race of the bystanders, so we don't know if race concordance or race discordance had an impact on the bystander CPR rate. So we also don't know the number of bystanders present because context matters. More people around means that you're more likely to have somebody that's bystander CPR trained and you're more likely to get bystander CPR. And we just don't know if those numbers differed as it related to Black and Hispanic patients versus white patients. And then third, they may have misclassified some race data because this happens, right? EMS responds, the hospital's taking care of you, you know, you've suffered a cardiac arrest and maybe you're unconscious. So we're not able to ask you your race or ethnicity. So maybe we're guessing what that might be. But I don't think that that would have a huge impact on the study because your outward appearance, if you're guessing that this person is Caucasian, you're guessing this person is Black, likelihood is that multiple people around you would probably make that same assumption. And four, as far as the generalizability of this data, again, the CARES data has about 51% of the U.S. population, but not 100%. So it may not mean that this data is generalizable to your exact location. And lastly, it would be great to know why no bystander CPR was given in some cases, but that's just not something that we've collected in this study, and I don't know of any study that's asking bystanders. You know, why is it that they didn't provide CPR? But that's really the question that future studies need to answer for us to be able to implement initiatives to boost that bystander CPR rate.
0: Can you tell me, are there any efforts that are going on to teach bystander CPR in the community that are really helping to advance this issue that is being brought up? Any success stories that you want to share with us?
1: Yeah, Alden, I mean, national organizations, community organizations, municipal organizations, everyone's trying to teach bystander CPR. I mean, you have your traditional CPR, your hands-only CPR. People are going into school systems. People are teaching CPR from the hospital systems. I mean, everybody is really getting involved. There is a really interesting toolkit called Reducing Disparities for Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrests, a toolkit for engaging communities. This was published by the AHA, and it's specifically for communities in which there's a disparity with receiving bystander CPR. And that toolkit really walks you through how to identify at-risk neighborhoods and what metrics to put in place to make sure that you're making a difference as it relates to bystander CPR rates there. I think that's a wonderful resource that a lot of people are utilizing in order to help our marginalized communities.
0: So I know you're EMS trained, and so this matters um, in particular to you because uh, of your work in the field as well as in the hospital. But give us the big picture. Why does this matter to us in emergency medicine? And what can we do to address the issue?
1: Well, in emergency medicine and in EMS, you know, we've seen that the highest risk groups have the lowest training rates as it relates to the provision of bystander CPR. So we really need to target these communities with culturally appropriate training. And we can contribute more as ER physicians or EMS physicians as it relates to that CPR training. Very few of us are actually involved in these efforts locally or nationally. However, sudden cardiac arrest utilizes the highest number of resources in our department and has the highest mortality rate or one of the highest mortality rates. And to impact these outcomes and the disparities we see, we could do a little bit more. We can get involved with these community organizations. We can actually start our own trainings. Again, that toolkit is super useful for walking you through how to do that. And as emergency medicine physicians, we're always engaging with these at-risk communities, right? We know who has heart failure with a really poor EF. We know who has CAD with multiple stents. And we know that they have a high risk of going down and having another cardiac event, right? So we could actually be cohorting those individuals and bringing their loved ones and family members back to CPR training classes. We could host them at the hospital, right? Maybe we have a CPR training clinic. Or we could partner with community organizations, figure out when their classes are, when the schedule is and making sure we get that information to the patients that most need it.
0: Great. And, you know, I think this is a really important uh, walkthrough with the study, and I feel like there's an important takeaway. So thank you for for joining us. But before we go, I do have one more question for you. You know, the common song for doing CPR uh, that they tell you is to do it to the beat of staying alive. You know, I think uh, that's uh Maybe not appropriate for all generations, you know. Is there is there any other recommendations for songs to sing or to hum while you're doing CPR?
1: You know, Alden, I love staying alive. You know, I'm an 80s baby, you know. That's that's what my parents played, you know, so I'm all into it. But you know, a song that really has broken the internet. Baby Shark. Baby shark do 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 do. You can't no. forget it, Alden. No, no, no. Everybody can get down to Baby Shark. Baby. Yeah. There's Baby Shark EDM Remix. Don't do it. Check it out on Spotify or Apple Music. Don't even think about it. There's Baby Shark, you know, all these different types of jams. So I think that 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 song transcends. And I think grandmas, grandpas know that song from their grandchildren. Parents know that song from their kids. And, you know, of course, all the kitties know it. So I think that's a good one.
0: I'm going to take a pause here because it is absolutely disturbing to think of seeing Baby Shark (laughs) getting (laughs) CPR. That's true. But, you know,
1: ah, 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 ah. Baby Shark, baby, I don't
0: know. (laughs) Well, if Baby Shark is the song that you're recommending, um, hopefully that works for some. It does not work for me. I think you also mentioned that there is that Spotify playlist that others can refer to, find a song, something that you're comfortable with, something that you can remember, and something that keeps you on beat while you're doing CPR. I wanna say thank you to my colleague, Dr. Amira Hamid, for joining us, amazing discussion. And thank you for uh, listening to this discussion as we try and be more inclusive and work to expand our discussions around equity and justice in emergency medicine here on EM Rep.
1: Thanks for having me, Alden. Oh, oh,
0: oh, oh,